Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy this, please share it with a friend. This is how podcasts grow. If you've not yet given us a five-star rating, please do so. And give us a positive review. Say kind and glowing things about us. I always love that. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a priest. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Kirk? I um, had trouble uh, beginning this with a straight face when we hit record because I just noticed right below my little opening spiel that I wrote like um, for like our chat, like dudes chatting, I wrote, I don't know what I cut and pasted. Do you see what's there? It just says Christ. <laughs> ah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk about is that, an, epith- is that an epithet or is that pi- pious yeah i don't i don't know he just is yeah. the anointed one he is well i can he tell you what's going Christ. on here kirk yes tell me uh this week uh man we, we we've been adam we like i didn't want to say busy um i listened to a sermon a few years back that uh the the, the priest who was preaching talked about he said we in my family we avoid using the word busy uh, it lived in dc for a while where it was almost a source of pride oh we're how are you oh i'm busy i'm busy like yeah. it was like if you weren't busy something's wrong but like that's not a good way for us um just for human flourishing um, but, right but for people like who live with biblical wisdom like we have patterns of work and rest of, of right work and leisure and and um to, to to refer to oneself as busy is is in one sense kind of a a state of mind um so mm-hmm. So that's why my language was a bit clunky and awkward was, uh, I didn't want to say busy, but we've just been doing cool stuff. Um, uh, we, uh, there's, we have a big emphasis on skiing because we've got these season passes that we want to get our money's worth. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. um, I talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, and so on Monday night we, uh, had ski lessons, the first of three, each of the kids will do kind of negotiate with them. We want you to do three lessons. Uh, Kirk, I, I don't know how things have gone with you teaching your kids to ski. Uh, <laughs> there are definitely merits to having someone else teach your kids something. Yes. Whether it be skiing or piano. Um, yes. It's nice to have an outside voice. And uh, what I realized, Kirk, with piano, I think I would be a good teacher, uh, like with in general. Like I think I could teach someone to, to, to learn to play piano. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I, right now, I can't necessarily teach skiing because it's just kind of a natural thing like i can't maybe explain what it is that i'm doing um try like did you notice that as you're teaching your kids like so you lean on the inside of your soul and and right i mean a lot of that you it's it's a right brain left brain thing like you don't want to over explain because you want the body to feel it right so like if you're thinking push shift weight to right leg now <laughs> like you're it's not you're not gonna make it down a hill that way you're gonna like run into a tree or something yeah yeah you're right no i i so i chaperone our ski club at at, at our school at our public school and uh we're going on monday we're going on monday taking nice. the kids on mlk day yeah i love it Woo! and uh what i find with skiing is you just it's largely encouragement you have to be alongside okay. kids yeah. and like literally help them up and metaphorically help them up and encourage them. Uh, because like, you know, it's like biking or walking or, or, or things like you add 
it's you're going to fall down a bunch yeah. and yep. you need to be encouraged. And the thing you say with parents is children are, they, they, a pattern emerges in childhood where children will quit more easily on their parents than with another adult, right? Sure. So like they'll tell yeah. their parents, I can't do this. Right. Um, or far earlier than they'll tell another adult, um, I can't do this, right? Like there's there's like a, a dignity and a work ethic that kicks in <laughs> when they're around someone else. Wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say yes. a, a, yeah, a, a resilience? Without a doubt. Yeah. They don't feel the need oftentimes to be resilient with there's us. something in that parental <laughs> dynamic um that kind of nurturing that that like they they act differently with a coach. Yeah, a yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so on I Monday totally night they, we did their first lesson and uh, following the, the hour long lesson, uh, Jordan and I are headed up the hill uh, and we are, um, there's only one pair of skiers in front of us in line when the lift stops. Nice. And you know, lift stops frequently. Like all the time. Who knows? Maybe someone fell down up top. Like who knows what happened? Uh, except after a few minutes um, as they're like going inside the little hut hitting buttons shuffling stuff on the outside oh, no. like it's clear that they that, that that there's something wrong and they don't know <laughs> how to get this thing started you know and uh i kind of jokingly shouted like did you try turning it off and on again right <laughs> i mean as with most th technology things um if you just reset like, it turn it off and on to again. an iphone <laughs> yeah. usually that's it enough usually to helps. fix it yeah. i mean they I mean, they're hitting buttons. They're they're on the phone. They called somebody. They ran up into the, the machinery, and um, it, this is a Can brand I tell you new something lift. awful. What? There's this whole category of YouTube videos of people getting impatient and jumping off of chairlifts. <laughs> I got like stuck watching a couple of years ago watching like because what happens in your like big mountain skiing when like a huge chairlift is like down for an hour? At some point, you start to look at the ground and wonder like. I'd probably I, be okay. I could make it. <laughs> Kirk, I mean, every time I go up the chairlift, like I think to myself, like I could jump off. Like, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. But um, like minutes go by and, and it's clear they do not know how to start this. And, and at one point, 15 minutes had gone by and we see the ski patrol show up um, <laughs> with these backpacks. And at that point I was like, Jordan, let's go home. Is it okay if we go home? Uh, because what that meant, Kirk, um, I mean, every ski patrol, uh, I don't know how many times a year, at least once a year, they practice an evacuation of the ski lift. Ooh, um, because right. if it stops, um, they, the, what those backpacks were is, is these like this like trampolines, like they, <laughs> they, they throw this thing up there and I think you attach it. And then it's like a, a pulley system to let, like, let you down. Um, and, uh, I don't know if they take volunteers to like evacuate, you know, one chair at a time. I'm assuming they don't just like shut it down randomly and then just like make everyone sit up there until they're rescued. But uh, they, they have the means of doing that. Uh, I checked the webcam. So we went home uh, we, early, like we we're going to ski another hour. Checked the webcam when I got home and it was running again. So mm. it's a new lift, Kirk. For, for all I know, like someone was like, well, did you hit the, the like the safety switch on the all right? Like, yeah. Oh, we've never <laughs> even seen that. Like, <laughs> so uh, that, that ended early on Tuesday night. We went, um, to the driving range for the second time we've uh only done that one time before it's it's like a top golf you know like yeah one of those climate controlled um multi-bay yeah uh, driving ranges and I, I we went isaac didn't want to go so it was just 
Jordan and me and um, one of the Spanish interns here in town. And um, Steve is his name. He, he had never golfed before. And so I, I was in the, the role of discerning, like, how much coaching do I give them on their swing? You know, like this, this hideous swing, like there's, there's, there's like a, uh, Goldilocks level of like the, just the right amount of like, you don't want to overthink your swing, but also like, you don't want to just hack away. Right. You know, th- there's certain principles that you want to kind of work on a little bit at a time. And so, so that was, that was, a, that was a lot of fun. And then tomorrow Meg and I are both taking the day off. Um, we are expecting four to six inches of snow and um, the kids are off of school and we are going to go um, spend the day at uh, our local ski area. Hopefully the ski lift operates all day. So look, oh, look awesome. for pictures and videos of that tomorrow. What's going Amazing. on in the Shire, Kirk? Uh, it's my wife's birthday, the, the fair Kimberly. Um, yeah, she turned uh, um, hmm. on Monday and um, she's my age. And uh, she, I, I made a cake for her on Sunday, which is a great time to have like a birthday on Monday. Cause like you can take your time making the cake on Sunday and I asked her what kind of cake do you want? And uh, she said, she told me what kind and she's like, no, 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 scrap that. Actually, you know what you can make my favorite, favorite, favorite. Could you make a Boston cream pie? And I said, absolutely. Having never made a Boston cream pie. <laughs> so I Google it. I look at the recipe and like, I start to get stuff out and she's like, actually, She's watching me. You, you know what? You know what? Actually, would be even easier. Um, this is what my mom always did. She just made like vanilla pudding and used that as um, the layer between. So, so basically, what I was going to do was I was going to use two nine-inch cake pans. Um, you know how you can make a cake in a thirteen by nine rectangular pan. Yeah. yeah. Or you can make them in two right. um, uh, nine-inch uh, circular cir- circumference, not circumference, nine-inch diameter pans, um, and then you stack them. Right. Um, so, and oftentimes with a filling, a cream filling or a jelly filling or something, um, but a Boston cream pie is a yellow cake, chocolate icing. Um, and then that fill that, that, that kind of filling that meringue filling or whatever, which for me, well, what is, is it if be... it's not pudding? So you did pudding. What were you going to do? What uh, did the rest like for? it would have involved like eggs. I think it would be like actually making like a, like baking a pudding and then putting that in there. So it'd be, like a, like yeah. not from a mix. It would be like, yeah, yeah. From yeah. scratch. Okay. Okay. So, um, Anyhow, the, the cake bakes fine. It's all fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. I make the pudding. It's fine. Then I, I, I plop the bottom, <laughs> great verb, plop, the bottom nine-inch um, cake, portion of the cake onto, onto a plate. And I begin to apply the pudding. And then I plop the other thing, the, the, the second nine-inch portion of the cake on top. And it even makes like the, the cartoony sound like, like as I put it on and then there's this suddenly there's this oozing and and the uh the pudding is like spilling out of one side and starting to lean like it was like pushing out of one side so I'm starting to recorrect it and then I start to apply the chocolate frosting and it starts to rip the um the the, like the skin off the cake and so like Mm. as I'm reapplying it then crumbs are like mixed in and then it like mixes in with the with the pudding that's oozing out and that like it was the most deformed um ugliest thing uh it was just it was just awful it's you know what it was it was a deconstructed boston cream that's right and and everyone insisted that it tasted great and yet everyone like 
laughed, belly laughed when they saw it, when we sang to her. Um, did, but nonetheless, did you, did you get a picture of it? I did. I did. I, I didn't send it to you. I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. Yeah. Nonetheless, um, nonetheless, we feasted. We feasted. Um, uh, not, not as um, our disciples at the wedding of Cana feasted, but we feasted. Shall we turn to our gospel reading? Let's do that. This Sunday's gospel reading comes from the gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Kirk, yes, this is uh, the season of epiphany, yes. um, which we said means manifestation or uh, what was the other word we used for it? Manifestation revealing. Is revealing. Manifestation yep. is the literal like um, uh, definition, but you know, we don't really use that that word all that often, um, manifestation. But uh, we see here in verse 11 that this sign manifested his glory, which is why um, this here is, is our gospel text on this Sunday, um, that this manifested the glory of Jesus Christ, that in this season we see manifestations, we see the revealing of who Jesus is. And uh, so Jesus is, um, we also see that it's his, the first of his signs. And I think we talked last year and maybe the year before, I don't know when we started this podcast, but um, the book of John uh, is kind of organized around these signs, these, uh, these seven signs and these, I think seven I am statements that Jesus makes. Um, theologically, these are very significant. And this being the first sign is very significant, how Jesus reveals himself to the disciples and Jesus reveals himself to us, uh, who he is. And Kirk, uh, Jewish uh, weddings were very different um, than than our weddings. As as great as like the greatest wedding we've ever been to, Kirk, I've never been to a multi day wedding. 
where these wedding feasts went multiple days. And to, to run out of wine would have been a major faux pas um, as you're having this multi-day feast to run out. And to, this means that they would, would have been out maybe like in the next day, they would not like the, not only would the feast have ended early that day, but um, the multi-day feast would have, would have ended early. And uh, these interactions are, are really significant. Um, so, Mary says to Jesus, we have no wine. And he's like, it sounds harsh what he says. He says, what does this have to do with me? My hour right. has not yet come. Kirk, this is Jesus saying, uh, like, I am not here to save face. Um, as big of an embarrassment as as this would have been uh, to uh, to kind of essentially be a bad host. Um, Jesus did not come as like, a, a party like a birthday party magician to like um <laughs> right do kind of tricks that like might be amazing or he's not even around to make life more convenient uh i remember listening to someone talk about harry potter and just being fascinated by like the convenience of magic of of like making life a little bit easier but that's not what jesus signs were about jesus signs weren't about like wow like you can snap your fingers and have a meal before you but like the feeding of the of the five thousand was a significant thing. It wasn't about filling people's bellies with, um, with food. Um, it, it was indicating something much bigger than that. Right. Mm. Um, yes. so, so Je- that, that's what Jesus means when he says my hour has not yet come. And, uh, and Kirk, this is such a dense and theological text. So I'm just going to like run through a lot of the, the density <laughs> and you okay. kind of like stop me if, if, uh, okay. if, if you kind of have, have a comment or you can kind of react at the end. Um, this reading begins on the third day that in these first couple chapters, uh, is ministry in chapters one and two, uh, the days are numbered. So this is actually, um, the seventh day, uh, this is, but there's three days in between. Um, so this is both (laughs) on the third day and on the seventh day. And these numbers are significant. What else Kirk happened on the third day? Uh, he rose again rose again and so that's like this review like this is kind of a foretelling or a foreshadowing of the resurrection on the third mm-hmm. day and then the seventh day is also um is here links to uh christ's new work in creation mm-hmm. so um if we read through john one you can we can ascertain that this is the seventh day from the beginning of, of his ministry um there being no wine um it's interesting in isaiah 24 and 25 um, one of the significant parts of Israel's downfall. So uh, a big part of Israel's downfall was, was a uh, kind of a moral issue. Um, there's an issue of, of, of justice that they w- were not watching out for uh, the widow and the orphan. They were not caring for the widow and orphan. They'd forgotten that. They'd forgotten God's law. They'd forgotten God's holiness. Um, and, and one of the consequences of the downfall, interestingly, Kirk, was a lack of wine. But um, in these chapters, also, it's prophesied that God will restore Israel with a feast of well-aged right. wine. And um, so this all is, is like the coming to fruition of the prophecy that we saw of, 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 of both the lack of wine and uh, Jesus, um, this feast of well-aged wine. And we'll get to that in a second. So what does this have to do with us? Um, that's where I was like, he's not around to just like 
help with minor inconveniences or Kirk, as you might say, Jesus is like to paraphrase him. He's like, I'm not your trick pony. <laughs> there you go. That's not what I'm for. Um, so Jesus, what's interesting is that he, he says this, but then he does in fact help. Right. So it's not that he changes his mind. He said, actually, you know, I am here for the minor inconveniences. Um, when he says his hour has not yet come, um, when we look at this prophecy of the well-aged uh, wine, um, this was signified most significantly, um, not necessarily on the last day when we will uh, have like this um, uh, marriage feast of, of, you know, the consummation of, of like um, Christ and, and uh, it's not the, like the wedding feast of, uh, of, of Jesus necessarily. Um, what it's talking about here, the wine that Isaiah was talking about, was signified most significantly, Kirk, by the blood of Jesus poured out at the cross. Mm. So like that is the, that, that is the, the prophecy that Isaiah was talking about of, of this feast of well-aged wine is looking forward to the spilling of Christ's blood on the cross and then Christ's work of resurrection. Um, and I have you know, to say, on, I have never um, thought of that or encountered that. That is interesting. But uh, what you would, um, well, you know, the obvious thing, of course, is is that um, we have now this perpetual feast in the Eucharist, right? right? Um, where Christ's blood is poured out for us, and we do, in fact, consume it. Um, that that uh, and, and so, like, the final super significant thing, Kirk, are these six stone water pots. Yep. Six, the number six being less than seven, seven being the number of completion and fullness, right? Um, so there's six of these stone water pots, which are used for purification of this old covenant, um, this washing, this cleansing, um, and this kind of points to the insufficiency of the old covenant that though it could like wash away, like the, um, the dirt on our hands kind of like physically, um, it could not truly cleanse us, but Christ's blood does. So they had a function, um, these, these, uh, jars for purification. Um, but that function was purely to prepare the way for Jesus. We have this whole book of Hebrews that talks about Jesus being like the author and perfecter, like how like it says, can I can they the blood of of uh, bulls and goats actually um, forgive sin? No, like but they pointed to Jesus who can cleanse us from sin. So so Jesus um, Jesus cleansing of us um, is different than the water uh, that would cleanse. Jesus is um, not just cleansing us from sin, like the water jars would. Um, but he's also filling us with life in the Eucharist. And so I'm, I'm going to read um, from uh, a resource. Like, it's just so good. It, it puts it so, um, it puts it so well that I just, I couldn't paraphrase it better. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start by like uh, making the point that I just made first. Christ's objective is not simply to wash the sins off people as at the water jars, but to fill God's people with his own life. Also, Jesus is not a guest in our lives, helping us to get rid of, get out of jams from time to time. Rather, we are guests in his life and invited to the final marriage between God and humanity. Um, I 
I had a thought that just escaped my mind. So uh, with <laughs> me just say, saying all that, Kirk, <laughs> that pregnant pause, let, what, what response do you have to, to all this, to this, this like just significant passage of, of, um, of Christ kind of foretelling the, like the, this final feast and, and Christ yeah. um, filling us with um, sustenance? Well, I appreciate that you tackled head on the um, curious and for us as a reader, I think uncomfortable Enig- interaction. Enigmatic. Yeah, interaction between Jesus and his mother. Um, that's uh, every time this comes around, um, I read this again and I'm like, man, Jesus saith to her, woman. <laughs> right yes. um he also says this later on um in john 19 he uh, he um he 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 refer he says you said calls her woman <laughs> so there's that um yeah i mean he, like obviously there are cultural differences and linguistic differences and, and i couldn't um even possibly but it's far different from me calling my mom woman you know like <laughs> right you know where in our culture like that would be kind of insulting i don't, I don't think it's that but it's also not like it's yeah. not, it's not, um, affectionate. It's not like, um, mother, uh, it, it yeah. is, a, it is distancing a little bit. Yeah. I want, and I also wonder if it's, if it's, if it's playful, um, I don't know. I don't know. So that's just, it's always interesting to me. I always, I always raise an eyebrow as we pass by it. Yeah. Um, and always kind of focuses me on the text. Um, it's interesting. And who knows that I think we should be cautious in delving too deeply into the mind of God. But when he says things like my hour is not yet come. And, and then he nonetheless performs the miracle. Um, I mean, it's not ours to ask, well, when did he, de- did he decide to perform the miracle? Um, but um, I think we can, I think we can say this, that um, um, the miraculous is um, Jesus abundance our Lord's abundance is always the possibility of the abundance is always present. Um, and so um, it's interesting. This is, you say the seven signs, right? We have seven signs in John, and this is the first one. Um, and you brought up the word manifestation. I love that because um, this is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Canaan and Galilee and manifested his glory. One of my favorite epiphany hymns, songs. Of We're singing it this Sunday. Yes, so are we. Yeah, um, really leans into that verb yeah. and uses that verb a lot, right? Manifested by the star um, to the sages from afar. And at Canaan's wedding, and at Cana's wedding guest, uh, God and man made manifest, right? So here we Manifested have- Manifested um, Jordan Stream. Yes, prophet, priest, and king supreme, right? And we saw that last week. Um, so this is, I love that this is um, um, joined with um, in, in consecutive Sundays, we have the manifestation of the incarnate word to the Gentiles in the wise men. Then we have the manifestation of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the, uh, at the baptism of our Lord, right? And now we have the manifestation of his power and glory, um, as John says here. And, his dis- and what is the result immediately? And his disciples believed in him, Right. Um, and we see later in John, you've, you've often referred to this, Christopher, um, but these things are written so that you might believe and in believing have, have new life in his name, right? Um, so I love that, these are, that this, we read this during Epiphany, um, and it's appropriate, right? We see another manifestation, a shining forth, a revealing of his glory. Um, also, um, 
I, I don't know if you've ever run into this, but uh, wine math. Um, as Anglicans, we enjoy wine math, <laughs> right? So let's let's just have a moment of fun with the wine math, right? A normal a normal sized bottle of wine is seven hundred fifty milliliters, right? So um, there is a just over five 750 milliliter bottles in a gallon. Um, each stone jar at the wedding had 20 to 30 gallons, right? That would yield um, about 100 to 150 bottles per jar. So there's six jars. <laughs> That's 600 to 900 bottles of wine. <laughs> and in case that doesn't strike you, um, in case that's just kind of nonsense numbers, if you've ever been at like a, like a, like a wholesale, like someplace where at a winery or someplace where there's wine wholesale, um, or at, at like a, a spirit store and you've seen a wine on a pallet. Um, so I Googled this, how much is on a pallet of wine, Christopher, and a standard pallet of wine that you'd see in a warehouse holds 56, 12 bottle cases of wine. So a typical case of wine holds 12 bottles. So that's four layers of 14 cases each. So that's 672 bottles of wine. So it was likely more than a pallet of wine. So that's some, that's some party, Kirk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you can, if you, if you can uh, go through a pallet of wine, uh, I mean, I raise my glass to you. So, um, but, but why, why, why that much, right? Like, um, John elsewhere, um, certain, sometimes he, 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 he shares numbers and sometimes he doesn't. Why? Um, obviously, the, uh, the lavish abundance matters, right? Um, that, that eyebrows would be raised at this amount of wine. And certainly, you know, um, readers of this, original readers of this text wouldn't have had to do the math. Like they would have, like in their mind's eye, immediately they would have known, like been able to picture these and they would have raised their eyebrow or chuckled or whatever. Um, but our God is not a God of deprivation. Mm. And um, at the Lamb's High Feast, at the true wedding feast, um, it will be a feast. Um, it will be lavish. And that is what God's grace is like too, in the meantime, as we wait for the final summation of all things, when we shall see him face to face. And actually, as he says to his disciples, I shall not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it with thee in the kingdom. Um, someday he will drink it with us in the kingdom. But in the meantime, that is what his grace is like for us. Um, it is endless. It is lavish. It is shocking. Um, and it is for us weekly. And we get a foretaste of that, as you said, um, at the communion table. Because in the meantime, what is his wine for, his blood for? It's for the forgiveness of our sins, which we badly need lavish amounts of. So that's my takeaway. How's that? It's mm. good. Any other thoughts? Actually, no. I, I think that you summed it up quite well. From the sacred to the profane, shall we sh uh, shift to um, uh, a fascinating cultural artifact that, uh, that appeared in 2001? Shift away.
In our cultural segment today, we are going to talk about the 2021 film, The Last Duel. Christopher, you were a, um, a, a good cinephile and you saw it um, this fall and I only saw it in, in December. So this is late. Um, so anyone listening, if you've already watched this and it's kind of, you've mentally moved on, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, but I thought we thought this was worth talking about. Christopher, you, you enjoyed it when I asked you um, did you see it? You said, yes. You said, I said, is it good? You said, yeah, actually it's really good. Um, and so I, I did watch it. Um, let's talk about what it's about. And I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. Let's talk about what it's about. So the, the last duel is a 2021 historical drama. It's made by Ridley Scott, which I, I, I found interesting. I think Christopher, I've underrated him as a filmmaker. I, I guess I had kind of put him in the category of like over-the-top drama and schlock. Um, and uh, I thought this was good. And I, I now see that. I, I think he's a better filmmaker than I thought. Um, it stars Ben Affleck, Matt Damon. Uh, and uh, how do I say her name? Uh, the female lead, Nicole Holofkner. <laughs> do you know how to say her name? This is awful. This is really Bush League. Um, I'm not sure who you're referring to. I, I don't have the cast up. Okay. Skip her. We'll, we'll come back to her. Okay. All right. Um, well, she's never mind. Never mind. She's, she's the mother with, we don't need the cast. We can talk about we the don't cast need. later. Jodie Comer is great. Um, yep. that's, that's the other Marguerite and we can talk about her. And as did well, you mention Adam driver and Adam driver? Yeah. So this is really star studded. If you don't know who Jodie Comer is by name, if you saw, uh what was uh what was the <laughs> what was Free the Man. movie Free, Man? Free guy Free guy Free guy Free guy she was the female lead in Free Guy it was rather captivating there um anyhow what's it about it is based on a 2004 book called The Last Duel which is a true story of trial by combat in medieval France by Eric Yeager um and it is a setting of sort of the last legally sanctioned duel by the king of France um, as sort of a trial by combat to determine um, uh, an, the, the truth or falsity of an accusation. So it's set in medieval France. Um, the film stars Matt Damon as Jean de Carouge, and he is a knight who challenges his, his friend. Um, and as we see through the film, they become increasingly, um, uh, a gap widens, mm -hmm. um, is the squire Jacques Legris, played by Adam Driver, to a duel after Jean's wife, um, that is, that's Matt Damon's wife, Marguerite, played by the rather striking Jodie Comer, accuses Jacques of, and if you have, if you have children, if you're listening with children, I would say, let's, let's not listen to children. Let's. Don't listen to children, but PG also, but also stop, stop the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the crux of the matter is a rape ac accusation. And we don't find until the end whether, whether the rape actually happened or not. Um, because it's uh, the film and the conceit of the film, I think is a really clever conceit, uh, mm -hmm. Christopher. It's split into three, three parts. Um, the first rough, roughly third of the film, we see the story as told by Jacques Carouge. That's Matt Damon's character. Who, Christopher, I would characterize as a... Um, um, a, a, an introvert, a man of few words. He considers himself a man of honor. Um, he's a good soldier, perhaps not a good, it becomes clear, like maybe not a good um, people person, 
with the uh, like the um, certainly not the commoners under him. Um, but I think they they his, the commoners who kind of work his land. They I think they generally regard him as a, as a just if a little gruff man, right? I, I would describe him as an honorable oaf. I, that's um, a good description, right? Uh, probably. Um, I mean, one of the things we learn as we watch continue, like the movie, because the movie begins with his narrative, like you're right. kind of on his side. Exactly. Um, exactly. But then once we see other perspectives, including his own wife's, right. um, we, we learned that, that he, um, he, he's not quite the, the, the warrior he thinks he is. He's not, um, he's honorable, but he has many, many shortcomings, including thinking he's particularly honorable and above everybody else. Right. Perhaps yeah, some, some delusions but, of grandeur in that in that regard. Yeah. He does take honor seriously. Um, yeah, what, what was I going to say? But to, to, but to, to, to his own detriment, he, he doesn't realize how um, he, he kind of thinks that other people owe him things that maybe they don't. Yeah. So he's a middle aged. So, so Kirk, 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 let, yeah. me, let me defend this claim. So yeah. um, at the beginning uh, in his telling, he was the hero of the tale, like yeah. of, of every tale. Um, not only this first battle scene where when we see it from another perspective, like, in fact, he is, it's his impetuosity. Kind of a, yes. He's not supposed to cross a river and he chooses. And to in cross fact, he it. blows yeah. like, yeah, he, he messes up that whole battle and the strategy of that battle. And while he thinks that um, Adam driver, uh, it, it, that, that uh, he saved owes Adam driver's death, life yeah. and, that he, and that Adam driver owes him a debt. In fact, Adam driver saved his life um, by in fact, following him on this um, yeah. kind of impetuous charge. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, so, so he's, he's a, a hero of his own story. Uh, and that's, that's kind of like, that's like, he's both heroic, yeah. but also that's his downfall of, of, of thinking he's a little more heroic. Than so he's a middle-aged landowner who hasn't climbed the medieval corporate ladder, right? Like he hasn't gained favors at court that gained him new lands, connections. Um, and so he says at one point, he's like, he wants to go fight as um, just uh, as a mercenary of sorts in Scotland. Sure. There's a long Scottish French alliance um, against the English. And um, he, uh, he, he says to Adam Driver's character at one point, he's like, in short, I'm broke. <laughs> Um, so he, uh, he, he's, he's short of money and he doesn't have an heir as well. So he's got kind of this, 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 this estate and these lands and he doesn't have an heir. And there is a landowner who has burned all his bridges by, by I guess, being a, a bit of a traitor to the previous king. Um, and uh, they both kind of get something out of it. This landowner marries off his daughter, who turns out to be actually quite a stunning beauty to uh, Carouge. Um, but Carouge does not get the dowry that he thought he was going to get. There's this disputed land um, that, that, that um, was supposed to always kind of earmarked to be the dowry, this, this landowner's dowry. Um, and, uh, and actually, he's kind of double promised it, as it turns out. Um, a count, the, the, the local count has a claim on it as well. And the local count kind of calls in that favor and calls in that claim and gives it to one of his best buds, who turns out to be Jacques Legree, the squire played by Adam Driver, right? Adam Driver's well, which, character Which certainly is, Adam Driver getting the land that Matt Damon thought he want, thought was his, uh, builds a wedge it uh, drives, between drive them, drives a wedge between them, yeah. Kirk. But I mean, I, I wouldn't agree with your telling of, of, uh, of that land. Like, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but... Um, so Ben Affleck's character 
Um, yes, well, is, from Legree's point of view, okay. yeah, you can say that. From okay. Legree's point of view, why was that land always his? It was always promised to him from Count Pierre? No, like Adam Driver um, essentially got that land as they settled a debt. Like he had an outstanding debt and that's how it was settled. And then that land was gifted to Adam Driver. Okay. Because Adam yeah. Driver could effectively call in debts um, where uh, Ben Affleck yep. had no other way of doing that before Adam Driver. Adam Driver was truly useful yes. um, in, in, in all kinds of ways that, that Matt Damon yeah. could never really figure out. Yeah, so so Adam Driver, like Jacques Legree, um, understands the undercurrents at court. Um, he's charming. Um, he is popular with the women. Um, and in fact, that is that is kind of an undercurrent that becomes part of, well, that be, that's the character trait that becomes his downfall, right? Is he's a womanizer mm -hmm. and he he loses the ability to, to hear no when a woman actually says no. Um, uh, but Adam Adam Driver is clever and Count Pierre, who's, who's basically um, an amoral, decadent um, man, um, has not been taking good care, good good care of his books, right? And recognizes, and Adam Driver, a fellow um, Epicurean, a fellow um, appreciator of all things fleshly, right? Who as well is able to put down his wine glass, put his clothes back on, and um, like settle accounts and run a run a tight ship, right? Would would you agree with that? Um, sure. And in fact, we see we see a very important like forty five second scene where Adam Driver goes into a darkened library, lights all the candles, opens some accounts. And you can tell he's exhausted. He's rubbing his eyes, but like he knows he needs to get some work done, right? To, to do some accounting. And Pierre, Ben Affleck's character, walks in <laughs> and like um, knocks over his, what's that medieval abacus? What, what is that counting? Like basically- Probably like, an abacus, yeah. Screws up. It would be like clearing your calculator, like taking, right, right. or like, like, disconnecting like um, your accountant's MacBook Air, like slamming it shut and saying, no, you're coming to party with me now, All right? So we can see Legree is important, vital, um, both as a friend to uh, the Count um, and as, as like doing his business, like doing the important work, right? But so, yeah, so he's also, he's, he's not only useful, which um, Matt Damon thinks he is, but he is also, diplomatic uh he's he's a climber he, he's good at, at he's winsome in a way yeah. that um, matt damon is yeah. is absolutely is not right right yep and he's a bit of a climber and matt damon is clunky when he tries to have conversation with lords above him he ends up sounding demanding and oafish instead of um winsome and charming um and 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 and, and earning favor through through doing the hard work of building friendships, right? <laughs> like uh, it becomes clear that Matt Damon never learned or cared to, to, to try to do that. Um, yeah, so uh, Matt Damon goes, Jean Carouge, Carouge, goes to Scotland to fight. And in the meantime, um, uh, leaves, his, leaves his estate with his new, his new bride, right, Marguerite, um, comes back, um, he's sick, uh, it becomes clear that Marguerite does not get along with um, his her mother-in-law. <laughs> Some things never change, right? <laughs> and um, Matt Damon needs to go to Paris to get his money, his 300 gold pieces from the treasurer. Um, and here is where the trouble comes, right? And we get three different accounts, three different tellings of what happens. Um, because in the meantime, um, Marguerite 
has been urging Matt Damon to bury the hatchet and to um, uh, renew his friendship with Jacques Legree. Like this is a this is a man who like opens doors socially, and he was your friend, and you guys shed blood together, and you should you should you should make friends, kiss and make up, right? And you oh, and so they go to a wedding. Um, where they know Legree will be there. And there's this awkward scene where I know the yeah. French are into like social kissing, but like yeah. the French, they don't like kiss on the lips, right? And so they they very publicly, Legree and Carouge make up, um, they shake hands and they say, let us bury the hatchet. And everyone or all the men around them, yeah, yes, good work, good work. Yes, 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 yes. And then Carouge says this awkward thing, like as a sign of friendship, kiss my friend to his wife, right? Yeah, that was weird. And at weird. this point, I don't know what to make of that. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, I mean, let's shift to Legree's from Legree's point of view. He feels like Marguerite Cruz's new wife is unappreciated by this dumb oaf, like um, loved poorly. She's smart. She can read. Cruz can't read. I can read. Um, you're obviously love starved. What you want is some time with me. Right. Would you agree? That's kind of. Legree's take and he thinks that she's constantly looking at him and then he interprets this kiss as like okay there's something else there so far would you agree yep all of this is leading to the the culmination the the the, the pivotal point what actually happened you see because Cruz comes back from France with his 300 gold coins and his wife is uh, um understandably emotional mess she claims that she has been raped and we see it from two different points of view. Um, we never see it from Cruz's point of view because he was in Paris, right? Um, but we see it from Legree's point of view. And it's very, really, really painful to watch. Um, he thinks, what, she's just being coy. Um, there's this telling thing where from his telling, she takes off her shoes before she runs up the stairs. But, um, but sort of like, you know, he's like, pride. well, she protested, but, uh, you know, because she's a lady, she'd ha she has to. You know? Right, right. And she says no, but doesn't really say no. She doesn't put up a fight. I mean, wouldn't you say from her point of view, it's it's a rape rape. Like it's, there's it, unambiguous. Would you agree with that, Christopher? Oh, the, the yeah. Yep. Unambiguous. So we get. Um, like, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Adam Driver's case is not as compelling as he thinks it is. Like, it's, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's but right. but it, it also shows just like, his flaws and and also just the that era of yeah. of um how how yep. women were treated yeah yep so um uh Legree, I'm sorry Carouge Matt Damon's character appeals to the king which is super high stakes it turns out because dueling has been outlawed so this already is kind of shocking and and starting to be considered maybe like barbaric and unchristian a little bit um as a way of determining God's justice. Um, but it's still, I guess, sort of um, legally on the books. Um, and um, and he really is pressing the case hard. And you can see that um, that some of the lawyers you see in Marguerite's telling, um, it, it shocks her. She doesn't realize what's at stake, right? Yeah. Um, she will be brutally, um, she will be brutally killed if Matt Damon loses the trial by combat, right? If Adam it's not Biden just like, character. oh, it's not just like, oh, uh, he lost. That must mean uh, that it know. wasn't a rape. That it was consensual. And, and so, but, but also that's the cost. Like, no, she's what burned to death. Yeah. But yeah. also, slowly. it's like it's slowly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, um, the duel happens. 
spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Um, I did you first of all, did you find the duel the dual compelling action? Were you definitely? I it was super compelling because like yeah. I'm emotionally invested. Like I do not yeah. want to. I'm pro Marguerite at this point. I do not want to yeah. see her die. I think that um, uh, at this point Legree is a rapist, and if it's going to be a trial by combat and someone has to die, I think it might as well be Legree. Right? I think that's where we're supposed to be. Our emotional sentiments are supposed to be as a viewer. And the spoilers, like um, uh, he d- he does die in like a really compelling kind of rope a dope fashion. Carouge um pretends to be more injured than he actually is. I don't think he pretended like. There's blood gushing out of his leg. I, like, right, but like his final move is, where he actually has enough strength for like this final thrust, he was like holding something back. I think it was sure, super but, compelling. But if you haven't the, seen The fight it, would not have gone on another minute. Like he would yeah. have been out of blood. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it, it had me, a, it had me two in my nails. It was compelling. Yeah. It was like good action. And you see uh, how funny was the, like the immature, like the King of France, like, like just getting excited, it. like just blood, yeah. his bloodlust. Um, yeah. So anyhow, I, I have some. Isn't that just, interesting, Kirk, about um, uh, days of yore of, of like like public entertainment, like hangings, mm-hmm. uh, executions. Oh, yeah. Uh, fights to the death would be entertainment. Oh, I have many thoughts on this. For Christians who who like to rip on sports, um, I think they, they do not understand um, the violence in human nature, and particularly mm. in males. Um, how important it is to channel it into other ritual, like ritualized violence. Like when Steelers fans like bay for Raven's blood, like we should appreciate that because you know what? As recently as 300 years ago, we would literally be baying for our, our like the neighboring country's blood. So on a seasonal basis, I don't mean like every 30 years when like war broke out between England and France, you know, you know in 1872 was, and 1914 and 1940s. I mean like far more frequently than this. Kirk, what was the, what's that France, line I'm from second but... Samuel where it was like something about when, when Kings go to war, like that it was mm. like surprising that David stayed home, you know, that cause he was too old. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? It, was, it was like, it was mm. like the season, like it was like war season, you know, yeah, it's like, that's right. It, it, that's right. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, violence has always been a part of the human experience. And, and I think this is, this is a theme that I want to talk about is uh, we fail to appreciate um, the, 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 the gentleman ethic, the idea that men should be gentle, um, uh, um, that men should not be violent. We fail to appreciate how long that took to inculcate and just how explicitly Christian that is. Um, and I do not believe that it can exist with the loss of Christianity. Um, mm. I believe that human nature is immutable, that it, it is um, it, human nature is human nature. I think that's a biblical um, concept and that it's evenly distributed and it will come if, un, if, if, if insufficiently um, Christianized, it will come roaring back in very familiar and old ways. And you mm. see that here. Um, certainly in the violence and the bloodlust of the baying crowds and the idea that like a, a natural way to determine justice would be like a trial by combat, like, because of course, like people fight and like God will stand for, for who is right, the man that is right. But also I think um, in terms of how men treated uh, women as sexual objects, um, just uh, to put it crudely, um, the past is pretty darn rapey. And um, yeah. and there's no guarantee that the future won't be um, if if Christianity lapses. You can see um, Jacques Legree, there he he has like some small tugs 
um, be compelled by the Christian ethic, but he's obviously hoop jumping, right? Like he goes to confession. Right. Um, and then sort of feels like he's good. Um, even though it's unclear that how much guilt, um, he felt, right. So he feels like confession was like hoop jumping. Um, and, and we see in the Bible, the confession, like, I mean, we'll read, you know, Psalm, mm. Psalm 51, um, David's Psalm of confession after his sexual indiscretion with Bathsheba, what actual godly confession looks like, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in sin, my mother conceived me, um, have mercy upon me. Right. We'll, I mean, we're, we're a couple months away from Ash Wednesday. So like, we'll, we'll be there. Right. Yeah. So what he, what he went through is not um, a pouring out of the conscience of the troubled afflicted conscience. Right. But like, um, also would you, I would say the last duel, the, the church is there. Um, Christianity is there, but it's a godless universe. I don't think there's any transcendence there. Um, and that's, that's, that's okay. That's kind of where Hollywood is right now. It's, it's interesting when there is a movie that has kind of God lurking in the background, whether those are Terrence Malick films or whatever, but. Well, Kirk, um, Kirk, let me ask yeah. you, because you've seen it more recently than me. Um, the, I mean, the, the priest does kind of press, um, I forget if his, what his name is. I just have to call him Adam driver. Adam yep. driver. He, he does kind of press him a little bit. Does, does he not? Um, as far as like, yeah oh yes he does press him okay um but but i don't i don't remember what the content of of that was 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 it like you need to make things right with or 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 like was was adam driver sufficient to be like i have been like absolved by this priest like in okay he was was satisfied with that in a way that like is not a a godly repentance is what you're saying right like like saying it's sort of in in um confusion and indignation but i paid my credit card bill last month sure right like in the same way you would say that Right. Like I have no debt. I have no debt. I paid up. I don't understand why we're still talking about this. You know what I mean? Mm, Like it had that sense. Um, And we also know it's like your, your sin hurts somebody here. And and (laughs) it's like, it's not just about like you getting right with God. So that, so, so that you can have your clean slate. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, there's not a sense that he would suddenly be sorry that it happened. Or, or that he would be chased at court. Right. We have these really telling scenes of like real debauchery at yeah. Count Pierre's um, palace, yeah. Yeah. right? And that actually, that actually, even Legree tells that story where there's almost like a mirror um, scene where he um, he thinks he's taken a woman with her consent that that, that remarkably mm. mirrors later him taking Marguerite without sure. her consent. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can see how he, through his profligacy, has right. no, no longer he's this rich and privileged guy who takes yeah. wim- whatever wim- woman he wants. Right. And yeah, <clears throat> that's That's true. Yeah. Um, Kim and I also had this interesting conversation. It, it doesn't just come down on the sin, um, the post Edenic um, aspects of male, like uh, of, of, of the ugliness of, of males, but also the, did you remember this? The ugliness of females as well. It's also a gossiping mm. friend who helps yeah. bring Marguerite down. Yeah. Right. Who basically, Gives She's like you did say he was she, he was good looking right like basically <laughs> like, like she wanted it right yeah yeah well, what does Which, like her like admiring adam driver's um handsomeness have to do with right. this like right. does that mean that it's not that that it can't be rape because she thought he was handsome yeah so like what weapons do women wield at court well it's not violence and rape but it's the like mm. the ability mm. to kind of socially undermine the ground that others are standing on right and it's it is like wicked what she does 
and oh, she was a friend for sure like, yeah yeah so it is damning testimony that basically like like implies that she wanted that she liked it liked him and that she wanted it so um very christopher i would say very insightful three-dimensional portraits of three different people how how subtle perceptions are um mm-hmm. how complex humans are how complex human interactions are um guilt sin um that how how sin creates a tangled web right i don't think after legree leaves marguerite and rides away from that castle um he it could not possibly occur to him that he is just kind of sown the seeds of his his undoing right um oh i know what i was going to say it's interesting you see in his final breath he truly believes he had he has done nothing wrong right mm. so like his sinfulness his his life of profligacy he's um, blind to his yeah. own sin yep. yeah yeah and that's interesting i think that is that is uh, that is a well done moment by by um ridley scott yeah. absolutely yeah especially because in the secular world um what they think of christians at of they think christians are just people who like try their best to make good choices and uh, you know avoid sin and, and things like that right where mm-hmm. um the christian life is 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 far more than that it's this um constant uh uh, kind of reflection. Um, when we confess our sins, we reflect like in, in these penitential seasons uh, of, of Lent coming up here, like we really hold the mirror to ourselves and we seek to um, exam, like we don't want to hide sin from God. We want to confess it and we want to reform. Uh, like there's an idea of, of um, it's, it's not transactional. It's, it's like truly seeking, like the idea of repentance is, is, is change of, of, of lifestyle yeah that that, um that usually uh secular movies can't don't recognize that and 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 this one does a little little bit right Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely so as to the question of is it good is it a good movie what do you say christopher oh it's great it is a great movie if you're a medievalist if you like um, um, uh, epic sweeps and, and, and the thunder of horses and the clash of swords. And it's got all of that. Um, but not the expense of like being compelling, you know, it's not just like, it's not just like a big spectacle in place of like a good story and compelling characters and good acting. Yeah. I would say, see it because these type of movies are, um, are in deep danger of going away Mm. and not coming back for a long time. Christopher, this thing has grossed 30.6 30.6 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. And if that continues, no one will ever make thoughtful epics. Right. It's just going to be superhero movies or like Netflix garbage as far as the eye or, can see. Yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe <laughs> not even just like that contrast, but like just much smaller, more intimate. Like, like yeah. I'll picture an, another like Adam Driver movie. So you talk about like the, how this was sprawling and epic and had castles and horses and armor and clashes and like uh, stuff that was ex- that's expensive to make. Yeah. Where, um, when you think about Adam Driver's movie, uh, what was the one with him and and um, Scarlett Johansson um, where they're where they're getting yeah, their marriage falls up. Yeah, falls apart. Um, yeah. I f- the marriage. No. Yeah. I anyway, like that, that was very small. It's yeah, which is a very small movie. Like yeah. what cost a lot was the actors, but like it was like filmed in a few locations. Yeah. You know, it, it didn't it didn't like we don't want to just have 
not that not that small movies are bad, but it's nice to have yeah. movies like The Last Duel, where you have this amazing um uh, not just the ba- the battle scenes, but like the the duel itself was really well shot. Oh yeah, and Christopher, I compare that to the best right now. We're we're in a, supposedly a great TV age, right? The best of made for TV stuff. Um, I loved the um, the Expanse books, and mm. I I just gave up after the first season because like budget matters. It just looks cheap. Yeah, it looks so small. You mm. never have a, a vast sense of. Same thing with Foundation, which we could talk about that. Do you think Foundation looks cheap? It doesn't look cheap, but uh, I think the scenes show. Like you can tell, it's not okay. it's not a Ridley Scott Warner Brothers budget. Like it's not. It's, sure, it, this sure. wasn't Warner Brothers. Whatever, right? Well, and that's that's kind of what I what I've heard said about the the Marvel shows, um, like Hawkeye. Like it's it's just uh, same very thing. Obviously same cheap. thing. Yeah. Yep, it's all in a city street instead of this vast landscape. Yeah. So I like guys. Let's. We should we should be watching the last <laughs> duel. We need to see the watch this stuff to make sure this persists. And lastly, I do want to say this: like Adam Driver, <laughs> I think in twenty years we will be saying um, he is. We will be like having diff- a different kind of conversation about him. So Matt Damon's been in a bunch of movies, and he was fine. He was even good. Um, but like next to Adam Driver, it's clear that Adam Driver, whatever he puts his mind to, is just magnificent. Whatever he touches, is gold. Um, you're so compelling, okay. even as a see, villain. See, I I would agree that Adam Driver is amazing. Um, but I, I I don't think you can discount Matt uh, Matt Damon's performance in this movie. And like, I I feel like I've seen Matt Damon Matt Damon um in a lot of really good stuff. Like another um great Ridley Scott movie with Matt Damon is The Martian. Yes, um, yes, yes. Everyone should watch The Martian. But um. <laughs> But even just this year in Stillwater, Matt Damon was great. Matt Damon's great. So I guess what you're yeah, saying is yeah. Matt Damon's in a lot no, I'm not, of stuff. I'm not, and it's I'm just, not, I can come to... put down Matt Damon to, okay. to pump up Adam Driver. I'm just saying my, I saw, I, I think I, I like was able to flash forward and like realize like I need to watch Adam Driver and everything and appreciate this is a generational talent. And okay. be, I, I don't yeah. know, why didn't I see it? I think it's because A, I didn't watch Girls. I thought it was stupid. So I didn't watch that. So I didn't see him becoming a star. And then as, as um, in, in Star Wars, I'm just a Star Wars fan. So like, I didn't watch it appreciating the actor, like any actors. Um, so I was just like, Kylo Ren is really sweet. And now I think I'll look back and be like, Kylo Ren's sweet because Adam Driver was, right. was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like he, how much of that was just his performance? Yeah. And then Jodie Comer, um, I mean, you can't take your eyes off her. She's remarkable. Um, what will, I think we'll, we'll need to watch moving forward if she remains kind of a presence on the big screen, because it looks like kind of looking at her IMDb page, she's done a lot of British TV, which I shouldn't, we shouldn't hold that against her. I mean, you and I both love British TV, but, but um, she's shown that she can be a screen presence. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very, very compelling. And, and the way she acted, um, and this was the, all of them were different, but like differently right. in Carouge's telling but, versus Legree's telling versus her telling, she was three different people. Right. That yeah. is really, Which really subtle. Showed her talent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I think we could say that about all three of them, right? Driver, yeah, for sure. Damon, and um, and and Marguerite, they were different people in each of the three tellings. Definitely. Is, yeah. Which that in itself, like just <laughs> just watching the story that way was was really cool. Just um, yeah. to, to see it through the three different viewpoints. You know what I think I still hold against Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott. I, I know, I know, I know what it is. What is it? It was that stupid Orlando Bloom movie. 
Um, Which one the, was that? It was like an epic, uh, uh, like Crusades movie, um, where like Orlando Bloom has like the most vacuous, like pump. Let's get pumped up speech before the final battle, and the battle's cool, but like it was just a whole lot of like postmodern mumbo jumbo nonsense. Um, Kingdom of Heaven was that what it was called? Oh yes, no, that is what I'm talking about. I just forgot that Orlando <laughs> Bloom was in it. No, I hold Kingdom of Heaven against him. Yeah, of, yeah. Whereas, like, so, oh man, this guy like doesn't know what to do. Like, he can do spectacle, well, but he can't do. It was the Iraq he can't War. Do... It was 2005. Okay. Yeah. So, like, the stupid Iraq War like made everyone make dumb movies around then. But like, do you remember the 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 the, the big great speech at the end? Is like, can't we just all like understand each other and like this Christian Muslim divide is a dumb reason to divide right. us. It was that's, yeah, right, yeah. That that was his like pre pre battle speech. Yeah, it was yeah. silly. It was pretty silly. That's not a great way to end, but we still need to end. <laughs> we need to end. <laughs> we need to end. Shall we pray? Let's pray. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, whose son, our savior, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world. Grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the end of the earth through jesus christ our lord who with you and the holy spirit lives and reigns one god now and forever amen, amen. the grace of our lord jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with us all evermore amen amen next week kirk next week